Thank you so much, Isela, for a very nice introduction. And thank you very much, everybody, for coming to my presentation. I hope you like it. And uh, especially that you have some uh, useful uh, and merciful feedback. So um, this is work with, uh, with a friend, uh, Jose Gallegos, who uh, is an advisor to the Peruvian Ministry of Development and Social Inclusion. And the title says it's about uh, robust, pro-poorest poverty reduction with countermeasures and the anonymous case. So <clears throat> first, why anonymous case? Uh, because there's a companion paper to this paper, which is a non-anonymous case. And the idea of the non-anonymous case simply is to do that changes in well-being or poverty when you have a panel data set, when you can follow the same people across time and look how their well-being change. Whereas the anonymous case simply means that we don't have that panel data set, but we have cross-sections, and we can still do some type of analysis, um, in a sense, taking to uh, the analysis done with uh, the proper growth literature with uh, continuous variables like in. Okay? So not just give me a minute, one, one, a few seconds to see if I can master this. Okay, so far so good. Okay. So, <clears throat> just to give you um, a very brief uh, outline what this paper does, or what this paper is about, in case that you don't understand anything else, that you can go home just with that message. Basically, um, the idea is, you know, in the proper growth literature, we look at whether uh, you know, uh, growth of incomes has been such that the poorest in the population have seen their income grow faster than less poor people. Right? That's the proper growth literature that's been around for 15, 20 years, right? So, <clears throat> what some people have also been interested in is looking at multidimensional uh, poverty measures and looking at social experiences and seeing whether there are situations in which the reduction in multidimensional poverty has been such that people with higher levels of poverty have seen further reduction. Or, in other words, that reduction has favored the poorest among the poor. Does that make sense? So the first message of the paper is we show very simply, it's, it's more of a, if you want more of an empirical contribution than a methodological contribution, but we show how with some existing tools you can actually perform this pro-poorest reduction analysis in the context of multidimensional poverty measures. But then we realize some limitations of this, uh, this technique. And we propose ways to improve the technique. I mean, I'm not being clear about what type of improvement, what are the limitations. This will come in a few minutes. Okay? But the idea is to improve, to expand these techniques, to assess uh, whether poverty reduction experience has a faith or the poorest among the poor. Okay? And also, um, Another important um, uh, aspect uh, in this paper is that, um, of course, you, you, you could think, well, if I want to measure whether a, a poverty reduction experience has been for poorest, I just need to compute an index of poverty, let's say, in the initial period and the final period, and make sure that it's an index that places more weight on higher levels of poverty. And that's fine. But, in this paper, we're interested in robust reduction analysis. In other words, we want to look at situations in which any choice of index will, will declare that there's a poverty reduction that favors the populace. So in a sense, it's, it's linked to the literature uh, on stochastic dominance, and the literature of robustness. In other words, the ability to, to, to reach conclusions that are independent of the choice of index. Because in other ways, you, you, know, you can have different conclusions if you choose one index or the other. This will be completely insane. Okay, so as I said, you know, we all know and love uh, proper growth concepts, right? Um, Lambert and Jenkins, Ravalin uh, and all his friends. Traditional focus on continuous variables like income consumption. Of course, uh, well, there's this term you, you can say that growth is proper if it comes to rises. But the more interesting the more interesting concept is uh, the one in which growth is being pro-poor if the income 
of the poorest grows faster than the income of people who are less poor. Right? You've seen that, right? It's very popular world bank literature and so forth, right? So you can see the growth that reduces inequality. This is, a, this, is, this, is, this is an interesting conceptual mathematical um, feature here, which is that whenever you have a welfare evaluation in which you want growth to reduce inequality, it's mathematically identical to basically placing more importance on the growth of the poorest symbols. It's the same thing, mathematically the same. Which is good, because we are measuring the same thing. The two things are So now we've been uh, lately interested in creating a pro-poor growth concept with uh, non-monetary measures of well-being or non-monetary measures of poverty. It's a recent interest. For example, there's a recent paper by Kazem. Uh, he basically, <coughs> instead, of, instead of ranking people in their initial condition with initial income levels, he looks at initial uh, values for an index of uh, non-monetary well-being, and then he looks at whether the income of the poorest, according to this index, is growing faster than the income. This is a mix. Another example is this a working paper by Anfuso and co-authors. They do a bit of, I mean, I, I like the technique, but it's a bit of cheating. What they do basically is um, they construct the privation scores in a non-monetary potential authority framework, so counting the privations of people, that they have a 20 million privations, 20 million dimensions in variables. So the variable that they come up with, end up with, is a type of mimics a continuous variable. So once they have that, then they apply the Ravalion, Lambert, and then it's located for full growth. Right? Basically, just for you to have a visual idea, in the original, um, Income, let's say, proper growth analysis, you have initial income here, right? And here you have uh, the change in income, right? And if you get something like this, proper growth, right? Just uh, right? Mm -hmm. okay. So, so they, they do the same thing, but instead of having incomes, they have the score. But, it, but it's a cheat in the sense, I mean, it's not bad, it's a good technique, but it's just, you need a lot of variables so that. Uh, the score uh, can be can be mimicking continuous variables. If you have few of them, then you cannot do it because here you actually have a person quantize. You cannot do that with discrete variables or with integral variables. Okay. So I said. So so as I was saying, um, back to my original point. What this paper is concerned about is what are the conditions under which a poverty reduction experiences is robustly, so independent of the index it's robustly more pro-poorest than another one in the context of counting measures of multidimensional poverty. Another way of phrasing this is saying under which conditions does poverty reduction not only reduce the average poverty score, but also decrease the privation inequality among the poor in a robust manner. Again, a robust manner meaning for a lot of indices that capture, that are sensitive to the two aspects, to changes in the average deprivation score, right? But also to inequality of deprivations among the poor. Because as I mentioned to you before, mathematically, it's very similar to say that we care about deprivation inequality as to say we are placing more emphasis on the poorest of the poor. The same thing. Okay? Now what's our contribution? The first contribution, which is not rocket science, uh, well, okay. yeah. <coughs> that is, but I think it's a very interesting um, practitioner contribution for practitioners, is we go back to the literature and we find out that there is, for this robust assessment, there is a very nice uh, theorem that works with this. Um, There is a theory that works with these objects called reverse generalized Lorentz curves that gives us a robustness condition. When this robustness condition is fulfilled, we, we, we can be sure that poverty is decreasing 
along with a reduction in deprivation and quality for a broad family of indices that capture these aspects. Right? So we're saying, hey, this exists in the literature, and it's usually done to compare uh, two societies, let's say. Well, what happens if instead of having two societies, we have the same country, period one, period two? Right? You see what I mean? So then it can be used as a, as a tool for poorest poverty reduction analysis. This was more developed basically by Casilla Lazuela Vega, also Chakrabarty and Soli. Alcaraz and Foster also have a bit of that intuition in one of the uh, papers, but honestly, these two papers developed this theory in much farther and in a more elegant way. <coughs> and there, there's a catch though. This is where I, we think our methodological contribution is more. The problem is, this condition, and I'll show you what the condition looks like in a minute, don't worry. This condition works uh, assuming that there is a fixed set of deprivation weights. Remember, when you construct the scores in the multidimensional poverty framework, you construct the scores, right? You have, I don't know, access to water, electricity, and telephone, right? And you, and you check what the is deprived on each, and then you add up the deprivation. And when you add them up, you weight them, right? So you need to choose the ways somehow. Some people do multiple correspondence analysis, some people do, you know, whatever, right? And inform blah blah blah, participatory methods, etc. Now this 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 uh, toolkit, which is very powerful, however, works assuming that there's one choice of deprivation ways. So if the ways change, then you need to test the dominance condition, the robustness condition again. And you may have robustness or may not have robustness. So what we do is we refine this condition so that we can uh, find situations in which the, um, the robustness of the poverty reduction, for example, will be robust to a broader rate of deprivation waste. So, so we, try to, we try to say, can we come up with conditions that do not rely on just one set of weights fixed? But you know, the fulfillment means that there was pro-poorest poverty reduction, not only for this set of ways, but also for all these other ways. Does that make sense? That's the limit of the contribution. And then we um, <coughs> so we will some conditions, and then we do application to the rule. Okay, we illustrate the conditions, and we get very some very interesting results. I mean, you know, this is a gamble. You know, when you have these theoretical methods or whatever, and then you. You, you choose an empirical application, you may get something very boring, blah, blah, blah. or you may get something, oh, actually, look. So I think we got at least one result that is very interesting. I'll show it hopefully in a few minutes. So basically, what type of refinements do we propose or do we derive? Uh, um, first, there are two conditions whose fulfillment is necessary, but unfortunately insufficient, but it's necessary to ensure second for every conceivable weighting vector. What does this mean in more formal language? It means we derive the conditions whose fulfillment is necessary so that a poverty reduction experience was pro-poorest for any choice of ways that you can use to construct the deprivation scores of households or people. That's what it means. But then we also show how to derive in more restricted conditions because these first conditions are very general but are not sufficient, are just necessary. Which means that kind of conclusion generation is limited. But we also show how to derive some conditions that are necessary and sufficient to ensure this robustness, but for limited sets of weights. So it's not for all weights, but still a broader array of weights. <coughs> and then we do the application with the Peruvian National Household Survey. We find for example, we take 2002 and 2013. 2002 is just a year before Peru under, um, underwent a massive commodity boom. We looked at tourism boom and other things. And um, 2013 is last year. And we find that there was robust, uh, pro-poorest poverty reduction at the national level, urban level, and rural level. And also for 22 of the 25 Peruvian provinces, all departments uh, in France, right? <coughs> okay, so we we apply this, you know, this toolkit. We're first with a, with a set of with a fixed set of weights, 
and they also will show you the statistical tooling necessary to, to implement this. And we find that. However, <coughs> this is where we get a very interesting result. We do find that this egalitarian poverty reduction, i.e. poverty that favors the, the well-being of the poorest, is not robustly in our choices for national or national And here perhaps you could say, I can do that just using two sets of ways. I do the test, if this is robust, but this one is not, and I can reach the same conclusion. That's true. But what if you do that test in two ways and you get robustness? Can you be sure that the reduction is robust for all possible ways? You will have to try 20 million ways, you can never end. Whereas without condition, you just do one test and you can already conclude whether the reduction experience is robust to any choice of ways or not. And indeed we find that for the national or the sample, there's no robustness. Tough life. Okay, that's okay. I mean, things will make sense if you start seeing the equations and the graph and things said. So basically I'm going to introduce the type of quality measures for which we're conducting this analysis. We will look at the anonymous case in detail. Uh, first here show you the that theory that tells us how to conduct a robust progress quality analysis, reduction analysis. Then we will introduce our own contribution looking at changes in the deprivation weights, administration, and remote Okay, please interrupt me if something's not clear in the Okay, so um, we need some notation, we need some maths, I mean that's life. So we have n individuals and we have the uh, indicators of well-being, right? And let's say, um, we say that person N, right, uh, is equal to dimension D if their value of D, which is X and D, is below ZD, which is a deprivation of life, okay? It could be something as simple as if the person has electricity or not, right? So it could be a dummy, for instance, okay? And then we weigh each indicator, each of these Ds, we weigh with a W D, which is a weight. Right? The original weight. So for each individual, or it could be each household, we simply compute a, a, a score, a county score, right? Which is the sum, the weighted sum, of these binary indicators. This is an indicator <coughs> function that, that is equal to one if the, if the content in parentheses is true, or otherwise it is equal to zero. So this is a sum of ones and zeros weighted by some deprivation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. We say also uh, that a person is in multidimensionally poor if their if their score is above a threshold k, which we arbitrarily decide. Okay. And just one note of caution. This once you decide the weights, the possible values that the um, score can take is limited, it's a, ve it's a vector. There's a dis discrete distribution here. And this is why when you have few uh, Ds, you cannot apply uh, this, um, this approach. Okay? Whereas ours can be applied for any value. So then we will we, we consider this individual household or, or sorry, uh, this property function for individual or the household it will be which is basically made of an identification function, which is equal to one if you are poor, multidimensionally, or zero. And this intensity function, which tells you how poor you are, which is a convex function of the score. The higher the score, the higher the g, right? And the convexity actually allows us to prioritize the poverty of the poorest, to, to make it inequality sensitive. And then we have the social poverty function that are just the average of the little piece. Does that make sense? Yeah? So our conditions will be, when they are fulfilled, they will say that the reduction experience is robust to any choice here, any G, as long as it satisfies its properties, any B, and so forth. Does that make sense? Okay, so there are three key properties that we want the indices that I just showed you to fulfill. First, focus. It says that our social poverty function, P, big P, should not be affected by changes in the score of someone who is not poor and who doesn't change their poverty status. Monotonicity, our social poverty function should increase if the score of any poor person gets worse, increases. Yes. So you do not distinguish between poverty and deprivation focus here. It's just one focus to this poverty focus. 
Yes, that's it. That's, that's sufficient for us, I think. And then we have progressive deprivation transfer, which we call PRO, which basically means that imagine you have uh, two poor people, <coughs> one with 10 deprivations and the other one with 5 deprivation, and now the power, that one deprivation of the person with 10 deprivation goes down to 9, and it's transferred to the person with 5 deprivation, so the other person has 6. So the idea is that when that happens, uh, social poverty increases, right? So now when, when the total distribution of hardship in society is more evenly shared, <coughs> social poverty decreases, okay? It's a property that we want to have. So we want, uh, this is how uh, the uh, poverty function prioritizes the poorest, okay? Okay, so I have to introduce these statistics as well because they will appear in the theory, they will appear, it will be part of the, of the cooking that we do. So we have a headcount ratio, which is simply the proportion of people in the population who are multidimensionally poor according to this criterion K. Right? <coughs> ratio. We also have the adjusted headcount ratio, which is the formula used in the MBI for the UNDB, which is basically the, the average score in the population, but censoring in the sense that we only count the score of people who are being poor. Right? The average score in the population, but the people who are not poor, we give them a score of zero. Right? And then we will use also, forget about this bit, we will use also this HD0, which is the uncensored deprivation headcount, which is the proportion of people in the population who are deprived in variable D. Not who are poor, but who, let's say, don't have access to water. <coughs> Right? So D could be water, or electricity, or uh, good uh, floor quality, right? Okay? So those three will be key. So the proportion of people who are poor, the average, the sense of average uh, score in society, and the proportion of people who are deprived in D. Those are the three statistics that we will need, okay? So, how do we, <coughs> how, how can we, uh, and analyze a robust general poverty reduction in the anonymous case with these statistics and with existing theories in the literature. There is first, there's a first theorem, uh, which I call first order dominance by Lasso de Vega, that says the following. It says, poverty in society A, and remember society A to be a period, is lower than poverty in society B for all poverty functions satisfying focus and monotonicity, if and only if. The proportion of poor people in A is lower than the proportion of poor people in B for all uh, poverty identification methods, for all these cases, for all these little cases, okay? Given a fixed uh, weight, though, right? But look how powerful it is. Yes, it's, it says that if the proportion of poor people is below <coughs> in A and B, and any poverty function you use will yield the same conclusion that poverty in A is lower than B. So it's a fantastic result. Uh, well, forget about this for a second. Then there's the, the, the second theory, which is the one that interests me the most, because this is the one in which faith, uh, placing emphasis on the poorest of the poor kicks in. And this, this one says, Poverty in A, which will be 2013, <coughs> lower than poverty in B, which will be 2002, <coughs> for all poverty functions that satisfy focus on identity and the progressive transfer thing, an egalitarian view of the deprivation distribution, if and only if the MBI of 2013 is lower <coughs> than the MBI of 2002. Not that the MBI, this is the adjusted ratio, which I'm calling MBI to improve the connection in your eyes, don't forget the MPI is just one index. Not only that, the MPI itself does not satisfy this action. Does not satisfy uh, a more even distribution of the privations among the poor. But despite that, it is a condition that we need to test if we want to make sure that all the egalitarian sensitive poverty functions, if we want them all to run the two periods the same way. Okay, another fantastic result. Okay? 
So our first claim is, and it's not a great claim, it's not our conclusion, <coughs> our first claim is that this is the theory, this is the technique that you need to use if you want to see whether a poverty reduction experience was progress and whether that experience is robust to different choices of poverty indices that are sensitive to deprivation and equality. In other words, that favor the poorest among the poor. This is the theory that you need. Okay? Okay, so that's the first bit. But then, of course, what we say is that the, the limitation of this theorem is that it assumes that W, the weights that we use to construct the score, it assumes that those weights are fixed. The moment you change those ways, you need to test again because these numbers can change, right? So the question we posed was, is there a way in which we can show situations in which it doesn't matter <coughs> which ways you choose, we will still get this theory running? Does that make sense? That's, that's the gist of the paper. So we find the following. Necessary conditions first, which are general for all possible ways. This is relatively straightforward, but sometimes we think it's good to state the obvious. Huh? We say, if the adjusted income ratio in society A is lower than in society B for all possible poverty identification methods and for all possible weighting vectors, huh? then the Proportion of poor people who are being poor if they are deprived in every single dimension, so when k is equal to 1, in A has to be lower than in B. So the proportion of people who are totally indigent in A, in A has to be uh, lower than in B. <coughs> so that's what's the implication of, the, of that necessary condition. The implication is if we find, if we go and we test, if we only compute. We don't compute anything here. We just compute the proportion of the population who are deprived in every single variable. And we find that that proportion of poor people, poor people is higher in A than in B, then we can conclude that we cannot find any weighting vector such that A will dominate B. So we don't have to compute all this. Just by computing this, we can tell already that A is not going to dominate B. That's interesting. I think it's an interesting result. So already not only that they won't be uh, robust to weight, but it's just that A cannot dominate B uh, for all weighting vectors. Cannot. Okay? But we have a, this is our favorite though one. Proposition two for us is even stronger. For, strong, not stronger, it's more elegant. Because the first one is pretty straightforward, but this one is not so straightforward. Actually our proof in the paper is it's a bit half a page, or it's here is like two lines. So this is better, you know, when you try to submit this to a mathematics-oriented journal. This thing that was uh, brilliant, right? Whereas this one, we hope, they'll be okay. okay. Anyway, what does this say? Check this out. If the, uh, the MPI in A is lower than in B for all possible poverty identification approaches and for all possible weighting vectors, and don't forget that this, this condition means that the poverty reduction is egalitarian and robust, whatever. So if we have this, for all possible weighted vectors, then the proportion of poor people who don't have water, I should have written a D here, it's a typo, I should be a D, imagine a D here. The proportion of people who don't have water in A has to be lower than in B. The proportion of people who don't have electricity in A has to be lower than in B. The proportion of people who don't have the good quality of the floor has to be lower than in B. And for all the variables, right? So what happens then, if you find only one instance, for instance, with water, what happens if we find that in society A, the proportion of people with water is higher than B, then we can be sure that, um, that society A does not dominate B for every conceivable way. In other words, we can be sure that even if we found this result for one vector of, of W, we were lucky. With another vector of, of weight, we would have had the opposite, or a, a, a crossing of the curves, or something. But instead of having to check for every possible way to corroborate whether the MPI is always below, we don't need to do that nightmare. We just only compute this um, 
this deprivation health and ratios. And if we find one that goes in the opposite direction, that's it, enough, sufficient. You stop there. Does that make sense? <coughs> okay, so there's not enough time for this, but we also have more propositions, blah, blah, blah. And then, just quickly, because we don't have time, just, just wanted to mention it, that if you read the paper, we, we also try to uh, derive necessary and sufficient conditions. Why? Because <coughs> conditions, proposition one and two, they are necessary. What does it mean that they are necessary? There's a problem here, unfortunately. It means that imagine that I test for this, and I get that it's true that uh, the headcounts in A are always lower than B. Can I then conclude that A will dominate B for all weighted vectors? And the answer is no. I can't. I'm not sure. The only thing I can conclude is that if there's a violation here, that this robustness is not compact, uh, it's not a uh, sorry, <coughs> comparison, it's not robust to changes in the weight vector. So that it's not an if and only if causal relationship, it's just if. But we found, we show in the paper in some restricted situations that you can actually write if and only if relationships. For example, if you have only two variables, which people perhaps won't like in applications, which one have a lot of indicators. But if we have only two indicators, the two propositions that I showed you are necessary and sufficient. So we show that. Okay? And we have another one uh, which we just show with, with a very particular set of ways. So don't worry, I'm not going to torture you with all the details. But we also find necessary and sufficient conditions for restricted sets of weights. Okay? But this is for, the, for, for those who really can survive the next thing. <laughs> okay? This is a niche area. Anyway. Okay, and finally, of course, what we also provide in the paper, again, I'm not going to torture you with all the details, that we, you know, we want this paper to be useful for people in, in statistical offices, you know, to be implementable. So for each of the, first of all, for the theory, no <coughs> poorest poverty reduction, robust poverty reduction, for the theorem, we provide a very simple statistical test, right, a very different variant. But we also provide a statistical test for uh, our two propositions, the one that relies on the poverty health ratio <coughs> of indigents, and then the one that relies on the deprivation health ratio of water and so forth. Okay? So don't worry, it's very simple uh, to sample tests, okay? But what we're trying to say is that we, in empirical application, we do it, you know, statistically, you know, according to the books. Okay, so empirical application, okay? So uh, the background, how many, how many of you? Well, Peruvians, there are like three Peruvians, right? The room, yes, Peruvians. <laughs> Any other people uh, a bit uh, familiarized with what happened to Peru in the last 10 years? Okay, well, basically, there was a commodity war between 2003 and 2007. Interrupted by the financial crisis, but then after 2009, the Peruvian economy grew again, the GDP, blah, blah, blah. Monetary poverty fell, and of course, the question is the context is how did people fare in terms of non-monetary poverty measures. Was there poverty reduction? Was this poverty reduction a pro-poorest? Huh? That's another question that we have in this context. So we use the Peruvian National Household Survey. Um, we, uh, this is from the previous paper. Anyway, so we, uh, this is decisions were made mostly by my co-author, by Jose, so if you don't like them, blame him, not me. No, sorry, I endorse them, sorry, I decided to blame as well. But uh, I, I never, honestly, I don't know about you, but uh, I never know what the, the, the prevention indicators to choose in these situations. I usually prefer personally to just do household indicators, you know, like electricity, water, um, floor, roof, and ceiling, whatever. But some people put everything in the, the pot, you know, like subjective well being with income, with, and, and they like it, and that's fine, good for them. <coughs> anyway, we chose. An indicator of household education, for instance, says you receive a, a, a big number one of the probation. If either at least one member uh, in the household is the school age and delay by more than a year, or if the head of the partner uh, of the household head did not complete primary education, if you don't like it, I respect it. If you like it, good. But 
you know, with these things. Uh, you know, uh, you, you just do whatever you want, okay? Physical dwelling condition, this is the fact that I like the most, but it deprives either more than three people to prove, like overcrowding or inadequately pruning presentation. If you have any of those, you get a one, otherwise zero in the score. If you want to separate them, that's fine. I, you know, I'm not going to debate that because there's no way to win. Okay? Access to services, same thing. If you're, if you're lacking one essential service, any, you get a one, otherwise zero. And then uh, Jose likes when I relate it to dependency burden. If you have too many members, in uh, too high a ratio of members who require support versus those who are net contributors of resources, then you also get a one. If you are vulnerable to show time, okay? So four dimensions, and we we uh, in our first approach, when we do the first analysis, we fix weights, we just simply give equal weights. So these are the possible values of the score. Zero, if you are totally non-programmed and everything. 0.25, and one, if you are totally indigent. If you have ones on each of these, right? Okay. So this is how this is how the, uh, this uh, reverse generalized learning curve looks like. By the way, um, on the horizontal axis, and this is we throw the spell of Casilda Solavea here. It's a very nice spell. On the horizontal axis, we have um, the head-down ratio, the proportion of poor people in the population. On the vertical axis, we have the MPI, the adjusted head-down ratio, the vertical axis. So for example, uh, let's say this is uh, 2002, this is national level in Peru, this is 2013. So for example, this hint over here means that in 2013, there were in Peru about 60% of people <coughs> who had one deprivation or more, right? This is 0, 25, uh, 15, 75, and 1. Okay, something like that. And yet the average uh, score, the average sense of score, the MPI was 0.28. You see how you read it? And visually, the idea is if the 2013 curve is below the 2002 curve, even if we can have some overlap, but if it's below, then there was poverty reduction in non-monetary measures, and not only that, it was egalitarian poverty reduction, meaning that the poorest of the poor were favored. This is what usually happens. And you can see, it's what's happening, isn't it? Right? So do you see how you visually interpret this? So this is how you apply these methods to do this analysis. Of course, this bit is we'll try to test statistically whether this overlap is significant or not. This is where, this is where it gets nasty. At this level, you have the proportions of people over here who are poor in everything. Intersectional approach. In, the, in total indigenous. This is the case for cities in Peru. This is the rural case. Again, you can see in the cities is very clear, right? How the 2013 <coughs> the reverse generalized curve is really way below, right? And the same in rural areas. But obviously, you can see that the, the um, the gaps are much smaller in rural areas. In general, poverty reduction in rural areas was much weaker than in urban areas of the world, which already is interesting information. Of course, this can be quantified. And in fact, in another version of the paper, which we're going to publish, we show that the area itself is a poverty index, so the gap is a difference in poverty index. And that's too, too geeky, and people won't care about it. We do this again also for uh, all the provinces, so different experiences. But I mean, I'm not going to discuss all of them. This is available in the paper and so forth. But I want to show you the tests, the test results, okay, of, of the propositions and, and also of the MPI. Okay, this is the central rule. Uh, what, what, what? First, uh, okay, just just some one interesting case though is look at. Um, Look at the curves of Tumbes here at the bottom right. Tumbes is, is a very tiny Peruvian province <coughs> at the northwest of Peru, just next to Ecuador. It's a coastal province. And you can see the amount of overlap of the two curves. Okay? In fact, Tumbes is a tricky case. Actually, there was not much poverty reduction in Tumbes. I didn't know, but... Uh, of, course, of course, all this poverty analysis relies on the choice of indicators that we take. 
If you don't like those indicators, the whole thing falls apart, and you have to do your own indicators. But we are not discussing what are the right indicators to choose, we're just saying, if you're having those indicators, there's all this stuff you can do. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. So, the test uh, results uh, for, for theorem 2, for robust progress over the reduction with a fixed set of weights. So how do we read this? The null hypothesis is that there's going to be one level of k, one, one value of score for which the MPI in 2002 is higher than 2013. If we find that, then if we find that, then we reject the null hypothesis of robust poverty reduction. <coughs> so as long as these values are positive, it means that this m is higher than this m, right? And remember, um, this means that um, this means that actually, if we find this, this, this means that it is not true that poverty was lower in 2002 which is good, right? And that's what we find all over the place for national or and rural samples. We have very strong differences, like very strong reductions in the MPI. And as I said, remember, those reductions imply that there is poverty reduction in all the indices that are sensitive to the privation and quality. In other words, it's poor, poorest reduction. But when we compute for the, <coughs> the highest uh, threshold for poverty reduction, we find negative values. There is at the very in the curve, near the origin, there is a curve crossing. It's very tiny though. So it's not statistically significant. So from a statistical point of view, we can claim, from a statistical point of view, we can claim that there was robust progress poverty reduction in Peru between 2002 and 2013. From a statistical point of view, not from a mathematical point of view. Because again, empirical realities, the statistical and the mathematical don't always go together. Although some, some people devise tests in which they try to reconcile the two. Huh? It depends on, it's a lot of literature on statistical testing, and they go in different ways. Okay? Um, okay, I mentioned this. So we, we do the same results for, uh, for different regions of the departments of Peru, so for instance, for the rainforest departments. We also get robust, robust probability reduction. For uh, the Peruvian South, uh, we also get that, except for uh, except the case of Arequipa. Using Arequipa, what happens is that the statistics are too small, so we get uh, basically um, overlap of the curve. It's not enough. Um, in Puno, we also have curve crossing. We have very strong uh, statistics in, in one direction and the other direction. Security is curve crossing, so it's not robust. There's no robust. There was no robust poorest poverty reduction in Puno, one of the poorest uh, provinces in Peru. There wasn't. Hmm? So it's strong uh, implications. Huh? As long as you are happy with the choice of poverty measurement. Huh? The South Center, we, we do find robust poverty reduction. The center of Peru, we also, the north, everybody except Tumbes. In Tumbes, if anything, we have evidence of robust increase in poverty. From a statistical point of view. From a mathematical point of view, it's curve crossing because we have positive and negative statistics, which means that some of these values are both, some of these differences are positive and some negative. Okay? And now our proposition one. But I will I will I will I will um I will skip it because we don't have time and, and, and there's a more interesting result which is our proposition two. So here we tested, we tried to find whether there was at least one deprivation headcount in 2000, uh, in 2002 that was uh, higher than in 2003. Okay? Or the other way around. Okay? And remember, if you find only one, you can already claim that the robust progress poverty reduction that you found is not, is not itself robust to different choices of ways. And indeed, this is what we find. For, for the national urban and rural samples, right, we get this situation for a dependency burden in which the proportion of poor people, actually, oh, sorry, of the deprived people, the deprived people in this dependency burden, actually increase in 2013 for all the cases. Whereas in the other three, education, dwelling, and services, is the other way around. 
And this is bad news, but it's a strong result. It means that the results that we found all over here, all these results, really depend on the choice of weights. They are not robust to different choices of weights, but we don't need to try every single way to realize it. We only need to do this thing, and we show that. So I say, a policy maker, sorry, that's life. You better be leaving your weights, because those are two things. <coughs> <laughs> because these, these, these are only so dependent on the data sets. Right? Some other societies, these will all have the same sign, we are good. You know? But in this case, we can already tell that it's not robust. Okay, so just to conclude, um, as I said, you know, when we have these uh, curve conditions, when the two curves don't cross, one is below the other, we can conclude that poverty changed consistently in the sense that the result, the poverty reduction result, is robust to different choices of poverty indices. And also, and also different choices of K, counting and mitigation approaches. Because this is how useful these approaches. But of course, they only work for a specific choice of deprivation lines and weights. If the weights change, remember, you need to test again. But what we try to do is to derive some conditions that could tell us whether we need to do all this tests with every way possible, or whether we can just stop if the condition is met and say, well, look, actually, this was robust only to one choice of ways, not to all ways. Okay? So we provide two key lessons in the propositions. We also show, you know, some other things that can be done in more restricted settings. Okay. <clears throat> and finally, in terms of the group, I mean, we think our results are interesting in the sense that using the other existing toolkit, we can show the, existing, the existence, it's two, two interesting results. First, the existence of robust, poorest poverty reduction in Peru between 2002 and 2013 at the national level, the urban level, and the rural level for 22 out of 25 departments. So this happened, but it depends on the way you choose. And we do show that these results, unfortunately, are not robust <coughs> to the choice of ways without even trying to try different ways. So that's basically the main message that we take on uh, from this video. Okay? Um, I hope that it was interesting and you like it and understandable. Um, any questions? Yes. So, um, sorry, I was a little late. Um, there's a problem last um, So, my result, of course, the most interesting thing I found was the result of how they just for robustness for the choice of ways. And of course, you can also present the rest of pictures. So now, so <coughs> from a policy point of view, I have, what are the indicators? for example, I have 10 indicators, I have fixed indicators, I have 10 indicators, or, or anyway, you know, I have fixed other ways. And now I suppose come with uh, some uh, linear constraint, okay, that provides me on weights. Suppose I can say that your weights cannot be more than 0.5 and your weights cannot be less than 0.2 or whatever. Yes. And this gives me a sort of set of weights. Okay? Yes. And now I want to know if it's robust or not. I understand completely if, that, if you are doing for the overall set and you find one head count ratio going in the other direction, you cannot conclude or you can say definitely it is not going to work for all weights. Mm -hmm. Now if I have that restricted sort of set of weights and you want to check mm -hmm. if the robustness holds or not, how should we proceed? <coughs> this is such a good question that it looks at this as if you were in this break. I'm going to pay you later for the question. <laughs> That's exactly one of the things that we did in the paper. Okay. We show two illustrations, because we didn't explore through this, situations in which you can actually produce the conditions for, for restricted sets of weights. Okay. And the good thing, the good news is that <coughs> <coughs> the conditions are not just necessary, but they are sufficient. Okay. So, are stronger conditions. And we have two examples. One is one is a silly example, which is here. We have two variables. Mm -hmm. well, we have two variables, but we find is that actually the two propositions that we found, that we derived, are definitely very strong. Yeah. Like all the uses. Mm -hmm. are not necessary, but are necessary and sufficient. Yeah. Makes sense. So the causality goes both ways. Makes sense. And we provide an example for a, for actually for, for a type of weights that is very similar to what you mentioned. 
So this example we do. One deprivation that is indispensable, this is a big product deprivation. One deprivation that is indispensable for protein duplication and the others are equally weighted. Mm -hmm. Right? So for instance, if you are deprived of water, <coughs> right, you will be considered uh, poor. Mm -hmm. Right? But if you are not deprived of water, it doesn't matter the other deprivations, you won't be considered poor. Very similar to what Mexico did. Really? Yeah, because the identification is income, right? If you are income poor, you are poor. If you are not income poor, then you have equally deprived seven indicators that will identify if you are poor or not. Ah, that's bold. I'm going to ask for Mexico. I'm going to play it. Thank you. Right, so for the Mexico, I didn't have a clue. We have a theory for that. Is this sausage over here? It's if I don't live. And you know which, which statistics you need to test? The combinations of the sensor deprivation elements. It's one of the statistics that I mentioned there that I said, don't worry about it, because it's just for this. Yeah. So it's so if I practically try to understand, it's sort of a simulation process that we repeat or we just select or compare certain points and that will just give you the result. Boom. Mm. You compare the points, you compare it. Okay. You generate different sets of prevailing scores with the variables taking different roles. Mm -hmm. So you will have it. It's a bit more intensive than the previous test, but it has a bit of being straightforward. Mm -hmm. the previous the two other two tests are very easy, yeah. they're beautiful. But they're limited because it's just necessary conditions. In this case, you need to do a bit more number crunching, which is still better than considering every possible way even in this subset. This subset is this is Whereas, had I found, had I found, 
all this positive or all this negative, I could have concluded, well, three different points, and it's necessary to make a decision. Actually, I couldn't conclude it much. Points? Because this is a question you know, here, though, in this one, in the one that, that in Mexico, okay, we are in Mexico. Where is Mexico? How am I going? Here. Um, here, in this case, and in this uh, horrible case, in the Mexico case, if I find that this result holds, then I can conclude, and I, I can actually conclude that the poverty reduction experience is robust to all the ways that satisfy this rule. That's where I can conclude. In this theory, all the variables are taking turns to become indispensable. It's actually stronger than the maximum case. That's why you have to do a lot of comparisons. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the, the thing that lacks this is the only part, right? The, it doesn't yeah. be much stronger because. Exactly. No, no, no. So you cannot say much in either case. <laughs> okay, so whites are important, or um, I cannot say much about this because I need. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what I try to ask as well. It's more important, of course, also. <coughs> but they probably get really more charm when actually you'll be able to say yeah. or present that you know what under this restriction I can say this is robust. Now you are saying well, either I can reject it is not robust, or if everything happens, it's hard to say whether it is robust or not. Exactly. So yeah, <coughs> in the restricted sets of weight, in restricted sets of weight. You can have if and only if. In the total open set of all possible ways ever conceivable, we have not yet been able to find the only if part. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It's not in existence here. But my suspicion is that it's extremely hard to do. Maybe even I love to do an It might be possible, actually. I cannot prove the impossibility, but it might be an impossibility theory. Because the joint distribution, you know, how, I mean, if you look at the marginal, the main idea is that given marginals, you can create an infinite number of joint distributions. That's another issue. And as a result, uh, it's hard in general to come up with a condition. Again, it, it may be possible, I don't know if it's impossible or not. Maybe a bit hard, but at least for the restricted, because that is what is more important, right? Because we all know that suddenly we have three dimensions. We have one third, one third, one third weight, and no one is just going to say, give 100% weight on one and give zero. More, more generally, people will say, you know what, it's probably more, somewhat credible, but it could lie somewhere between 0.25 and 0.5, something like that. Yeah. And then you sort of create different sort of boundaries. Mm -hmm. The problem in this one is that the main problem we found when we were working on robustness as well, when we do it for composite indices, the index values remains constant. So you just keep on changing weights. Mm -hmm. Here, the main problem is that when you change weight, the identification itself changes. Oh, yeah. And that's what makes life much more difficult. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's difficult to find things. But yeah, but, uh, that particular, you should probably explore a bit more or provide some examples using the Mexican case that you did. Yeah, so that probably will increase the appeal of the paper uh, a bit more. Thank you. <coughs> yeah. But here, I'm still can say something. Mm -hmm. Because we got this particular result, we can say, we know that the reduction that we found first is not really robust to any ways. Which means, again, that the choice of weights matters. Whereas, okay, let's imagine for one second that I had a situation <coughs> and if I'm only equal, I could have said that the choice of weight doesn't matter. And what you, in other words, what you want, your ideal result is to say there was poverty reduction, it was egalitarian, and, and it doesn't matter the index you chose, the application approach, neither of the ways. You see? Because this is, in a sense, if you go, and I'll finish with this, if you go deep, Deep inside the philosophy of this approach, um, the whole idea is that because there are so many parameters involved here, explicit parameters, the question that people ask is that all these comparisons are making how robust they are. By the way, this is true also for the monetary approach. Mm -hmm. It's just that people, the monetary approach has been giving a lot of uh, benefit of the doubt by, by us believers. 
because in the monetary approach we think, we think that the only parameter is the poverty line. That's not true. The way you construct the income, the way you construct the poverty line itself, there are so <coughs> many parameters that are chosen, including the, the price vectors, imputations, and so forth, that you can always have the same question. If I change those, would the result be robust? Of course, obviously, one, and I think I agree with this point, first one always says, look, the price vector, if you're taking from the market, there's a different conceptual distinction, whereas the weight here, right? It's, it's, it's less clear where the ways are coming from. Right? Just slide, slide. No? In price indices, uh, when they construct different price indices, there are some implicit weights inside as well. You're right. right. So there you go. <laughs> That's right. It's like when. It's just we cannot see them because they're hidden yeah. somewhere. Like they used to say, you know, the laws are like sausages. You don't want to know how they are made. <laughs> 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 anyway, thank you very much. Thank you.